Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. It's time. Dear listeners, Tomorrow, October 31st, is All Hallows' Eve, the time of year when the natural order shifts, and the summer season of light and life surrenders to the darkness and decay of winter. It's the time where the boundary that divides the world of mortals from the world of the Fae becomes thin and permeable, and beings slip across from one side to the other whether they know it or not. If you listen to this podcast, Halloween is probably one of your favorite holidays. And what's not to love? It's a celebration that embraces the abnormal, encourages indulgence in candy and costumes, and one day a year lets us all admit we are human, and we are afraid of so many things. Sometimes we like that, like being afraid, need to be afraid. So this episode, let's go back to the roots of Halloween. It's not strictly about any one monster, true, but Halloween. Well, the one we celebrate today looks a lot different from the holiday as it originated. And I think it's important as people who appreciate and advocate for monsters to know the reason for the season. The name Halloween is derived from All Hallows' Eve, or All Saints' Eve, which is a time that was originally marked by Western Christians as the eve of the Feast of All Hallows' Day, which is part of a three-day observance called All Hallowtide, which was a time set aside in the Western Christian Holy Calendar, or liturgical year, to remember the dead, including faithful loved ones, martyrs, and saints, which also used to be called Hallows. And, just like Easter and Christmas, All Hallows' Eve is just another mask worn by a tradition that is far, far older. Many cultures around the world have a celebration to mark the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter. In Roman folklore, at the end of the harvest season, a festival was held for Pomona, the goddess of fruits and seeds. In many cultures throughout the world, a festival of the dead, usually lasting up to three days, was held at the end of October and beginning of November. Some cultures that have festivals for the dead around this time of year include the Peruvians, Pacific Islanders, people of the Tonga Isles, the ancient Persians, and the ancient Romans. But the festival that our modern-day Halloween descends from is Samhain, a Gaelic festival that marked the end of the summer, the season of the living, and the beginning of the winter, or the season of the dead. Samhain is celebrated from October 31st to November 1st. The Celtic day began and ended at sunset. So, like its modern descendant, Samhain was celebrated in the evening. There is evidence that this date has been marked by the Celtic peoples living in Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man since about 3350 to 2800 BCE. As an important archeological discovery from this time in Ireland, a Neolithic passage tomb in Ireland called the Mound of Hostages, is aligned with the Samhain sunrise. The light of the rising sun passes perfectly through this tomb at only two times of the year. Samhain, 
and Einbolk, a festival that denotes the beginning of spring. As I mentioned in the Eclipse episode, the absence of the sun is a stressful thing for early man, who relied on the sun to grow crops and for whom the dark still held many large apex predators. On Samhain, the cyclical dwindling of the hours of daylight were marked and acknowledged with special bonfires, seen as the earthly equivalent of the warmth and light of the sun provided by the sometimes sun god, sometimes archdruid, Mugroith. The shortening of days and lengthening of nights during this time of year was interpreted to mean that Mugroith was sojourning to the land of the dead, ruled by the god Dawn. And as the night's length increased, so too did the power of the god of death during this time of year and into winter. This increase in the power and influence of the god of death Dawn brought with it an increased presence of the host of creatures that lived in between life and death, which for the Celts were mainly the Eshi, or the people of the mounds, gods, and deceased ancestors of the living. The second category of being, deceased relatives, were said to seek the warmth of their family's hearth at this time of year, and looked for hospitality among their living relatives. A place with food and drink was set at the table for dead family members, and the fire was left burning when the family went to bed, so that the dead might enjoy the food and fire while their living relatives slept. Appeasing one's ancestors was a good way to earn good fortune over the coming year, and not offering your relatives food and fire was a good way to have misfortune brought upon your household, possibly forever. The first two categories of being contained multitudes of both good and evil creatures, such as the Katshi, the Joint Eater, and of course Leprechauns, and these creatures had to be appeased with offerings of food or drink, to ensure the safety of mortals in the time when the Fae was most powerful. And because hiding in your home could only keep you so safe, on Samhain people would disguise themselves as Eshi to trick the marauding fairies into granting them safe passage. And, because people are people, these same humans would often go from neighbor to neighbor in costume, imitating the Eshi and reciting verses in exchange for offerings of food, which they accepted on behalf of the Eshi. Yep, before Christmas carolers were a thing, people were going door to door dressed as their worst fears and chanting verses and then demanding food in exchange for their neighbor's safety. Which honestly is just a more threatening version of trick-or-treating. And I gotta say, it would be nice to be able to go as an adult and demand candy from house to house. So, if you're thinking of adult trick-or-treating this year, maybe have some verses handy? Now, I'm being somewhat flippant about dressing up on Samhain, but people took disguising themselves during this time very seriously. And there were consequences if you didn't play along. In Southern Ireland around the 19th century, a popular costume was a hobby horse known as the Larban. A man covered in a white sheet and carrying a decorated horse skull would lead a group of young children around, blowing cow horns from farm to farm, reciting verses in exchange for food. If the farmer donated food, he could expect good fortune from Makola, which was a legendary great boar. Conversely though, not offering food would bring misfortune. And that misfortune didn't necessarily have to be of the supernatural variety either. Playing pranks on people who did not welcome mummers at Samhain is recorded in the Scottish Highlands as far back as 1736, 
and was also common in Ireland, which led to Samhain being nicknamed Mischief Night in some parts. Which is an appropriate name not only because of the human pranks, but because it seems like half of Celtic mythology takes place on Samhain, especially the really good, really drunken stories. Now, as I mentioned before, all of the Eshi come out in force during this festival, and all the gateways to the other world, including a famous gateway called the Uwenagat, or Cave of the Cats, are left wide open for creatures and mortals to both come out of as well as sometimes accidentally go into. Both the race of old Celtic gods, called the Tuaha Dedanan, as well as the race of monsters they opposed, called the Formorians, are especially active in Samhain, and many actively intercede to the hindrance or benefit of mortals. In one short legend written in a larger work called The Boyhood Deeds of Finian, a monstrous, fire-breathing Fomorian named Aelin emerges from the Otherworld each Samhain and burns the sacred hill Tara after lulling everyone to sleep. One Samhain, the young Finian Macamile is able to stay awake by inhaling fumes from a poisoned spear and slays Aelin and is made leader of the Fianun, several bands of small independent warriors that united under the man who slew the fire-breathing beast. In another legend called The Adventure of Nera, King Ael of Connacht does his best impression of a Japanese high schooler and challenges his court to a test of bravery on Samhain night. He offers a prize to the person who can make it to the gallows that night and tie a band around a hangman's ankle. One by one, each challenger sets out for the gallows, but one by one, the challengers meet demons on the road and run back to the king's hall in fear. Finally, a man named Nera succeeds in making it to the gallows, and upon tying his band around the ankle of a hanged man, the hanged man springs back to life. The dead man then asks Nera for a drink. Not wishing to anger the zombie he's recently created, Nera carries the hanged man on his back, and they stop at three houses asking for a drink. After being reasonably turned away from the first two houses, they enter a third house, where the dead man justifies the fears of the first two houses by drinking a beverage and spitting it up on the residents of the household, which just... instantly kills them. Nera does what he should have done a long time ago and calls it quits on the dare, but he returns to see a fairy host burning the king's hall and killing everyone inside. In despair, and presumably with no more friends and family to tie him to this world, Nera follows the host through a portal to the other world. He learns that what he saw was only a vision of what will happen the next Samhain unless something is done. He is able to return to the hall and warn the king, and the crisis is averted. I like this story because not only is it a great story, but I think it's one of the earliest it-was-all-a-dream plots I've found to date. These stories don't always end well for mortals, though. There is some suggestion that in times of dire straits, darker offerings were sometimes made on Samhain. The legendary kings of Celtic mythology, Diarmate Mac Serbale and Mayor Shatash Mac Dag, each die three times by being wounded, burning, and drowning on Samhain, all of which had been previously foretold to them. In the tale The Destruction of Dadurga's Hostel, King Conair de Mor also meets his death on Samhain, after breaking his taboo condition for being king, 
which is that he may not be preceded by three red men into the house of a red man. It's complicated. He is warned of his impending doom by three undead horsemen who are messengers of Dawn, god of the dead, and the strongest god during Samhain. Some academics suggest that these legends are based on actual human sacrifice, and argue that several ancient Irish bog bodies appear to have actually been kings, who were ritually killed in their former life, sometime around Samhain. We've gone into the costumes and candy and human sacrifice, but I know for some of you, the most important question will always be, what about the pumpkins? Well, many of you probably already know that pumpkins are not the original lantern plant for Halloween. Pumpkins originated in North America, and so when Samhain was first being celebrated in the UK, there were no pumpkins at all, let alone ones to carve and fill with light. So the original Samhain lantern plants were turnips and beets. Pranksters would carry around turnips or beets that had been hollowed out to contain a lit candle as their illumination for going door to door and households would often carve grotesque faces into turnips or beets to be illuminated, and the scarier or weirder the face, the better to appease and ward off wandering spirits and fae. Pumpkins just naturally replaced turnips and beets as they became more plentiful, because let's face it, there's just more room on a pumpkin to carve. I hope you enjoyed a brief history of Samhain, the pagan predecessor of Halloween. If you liked this episode, I would encourage you to take a closer look at the holidays celebrated by both your own culture and by an ever-increasingly globalized society. You might be surprised what you find when you go digging at the roots. If you want to learn more about the Celtic mythological craziness that goes down on Samhain, check out the show notes. Intro and outro music, as well as musical score, are done by the wandering restless spirit Scott Ethington. Come across more of his work and leave him offerings at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween!